This is Sounding Point Podcast, Episode 3, with Joseph Christensen. Thank you for listening. It's June 1st, 2020. In the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, Alameda County recently issued an order to shelter in place until further notice. Until now, there has always been a tentative end date to the shelter in place. But now it's indefinite. This would be front page news at any other time. But over this past week, the headlines have been about something different. George Floyd was an unarmed, handcuffed black man who was murdered by a police officer, a white police officer, over Memorial Day weekend. And this last weekend, protests have erupted across the country. And alongside those protests, a lot of rioting and looting and vandalism has occurred. So much so that many cities have issued curfews. The situation is very serious, and I have no doubt that the stress and the anger and the frustration in the pent-up population after this pandemic, along with the countless stories of police brutality that have stacked up over the years, have contributed to this feeling of outrage and anger. And not least by the story of George Floyd himself, who should have under no circumstances been in this position to begin with. And his killing was a travesty and a tragedy. And people are righteously upset and outraged by it. I think usually I don't talk about politics because or on social media, I don't discuss politics or current events because there are so many people who talk about current events and politics. Why add my voice to the fray? This is so permeating the culture right now that I think it's impossible to talk about anything publicly without addressing it. And I think on one hand, I want to express that my heart is with victims of racism and oppression and injustice and violence anywhere. And this is an opportunity for us as a nation to look deeply at those problems. At the same time, I think the time for us to think about hope and the positive that we can take from this, which can be very hard to see in the midst of something so negative. But many of my friends went out and peacefully protested for justice and freedom and equality, and they're doing the right thing. This is what we need right now. We need people to voice their opinions and take the conversation in a more positive direction without violence. The protesting and the looting and the vandalism, or the not the protesting, the rioting and the vandalism has been an unfortunate display of emotion that is understandable 
from the circumstances. However, it's resulted in destruction in the neighborhoods that we as a country should be doing as much as we can to build up and help to prosper. But instead, the rioters and vandals have been hurting those communities that need that help the most. So I think it's a shame. I think it's very dangerous. However, the hope and the goodness that we can draw from this is that we as a country have responded with such strength and outrage to this injustice. It shows me that we as a country want to do better. And I hope that that's the outcome of this is that we can have these conversations right now that we're having and we can do better as a country and use the opportunity to do better. I think it's a perfect segue to talk about my original topic that I was planning on talking about today, which is my mentor, Bozo Koroshelli, who was a victim of oppression and hatred and injustice in history, in, a, in very different situations. But the ways he dealt with it were inspirational. So I think it's very fitting that we talk about Bozo Koroshelli at this time, and we talk about his life, and maybe learn about someone who saw the very darkest of humanity, and yet he brought light out of it. So I'm going to read a little bit out of the autobiography of my old mentor, rest in peace, Bozo Koroshelli. We got up early the next day and caught the streetcar to take us to the end of town where the prison was. We were earlier than the specified time, but the guard led us in the waiting room with two rows of iron bars, an arm's length apart dividing the room. Father came in with another officer and asked if he could hold our hands. The men wanted to see all six open palms, which we did. Yes, you may, the officer said somewhat respectfully. Father talked to me most of the 20 minutes and held mother's hands. Since that day, I have lived 70 years, but I still know every word he passed to me. I catch myself repeating and reciting the conversation, trying to imitate his warm voice I loved so much. Do not go to sleep without asking yourself, did I do enough work for the day? Do not depend on rumors, always listen to the other side. Listen more and talk less. The songs you played for me sounded warm and always telling me something. Never lose that. Remember, on our hikes you thought you would not make it over the steep mountain. You always did because you wanted to. Never give up. Do not leave things unfinished. You start, make sure you finish. Remember that only through your patience can you survive the troubles and problems. Do not repeat secondhand news. Find the truth. Always make sure that your friends and relatives feel at home in your home. If you are upset or depressed, do some hard physical work. He told me stories and examples for all this advice while holding mom's hand. Mom was silent, but I could feel that she was controlling her tears. The officer let us talk longer than 20 minutes. 
I sensed that he respected my father. At that time, I did not know that I was seeing him for the last time. So, Bozzo Croeschelli was born in Georgia in right after the Russian Revolution in the 20s. And his father was executed by the Stalinist regime in Georgia in 1936. He was an actor. He acted in the Georgian State Theater run by someone named Sandro Akhmeteli, who was a three, uh, who was a free think. He was a free thinker and someone who did not subscribe to Soviet ideology. So he, along with many of the people who worked at the theater, including the actors, were executed by the state for anti-Soviet activities. Bozo's family suffered from this, not just because of the loss of their father, but also because the state treated them as second-class citizens. They appropriated their home and forced them to share it with strangers and allocated space from their home as apartments. The mother, also an actor, also lost her job and she had to find work and struggle. Bozo himself was assigned to a labor division in the Soviet army, which was far from a rosy assignment. He was assigned to dig trenches on the border with Poland. This happened to be a place that was occupied and taken over by the Nazis. So he became a Nazi prisoner of war. It's not an exaggeration to say that music saved his life. When he proved that he was an adept singer and pianist, this prevented him from many dire situations in which he could have lost his life in the labor camps. He had t studied piano extensively and was a gifted child and young adult in his home city of Tbilisi, Georgia. He also learned German, which was a lifesaver in this situation. So he survived in various labor and prison camps. And by the end of the war, he labored, he was a woodcutter, he was put to work in various capacities at one point in the Bavarian woods as a lumberjack. At other times in more musical areas where he could actually practice the piano, but Mostly, he was struggling to survive. At the end of the war, he made his way to Austria, Salzburg, and became a displaced person. He was someone without a country. He didn't have, he wasn't able to return to the Soviet Union. His father was a rebel. He also did not belong to the German state, nor did he want to stay there, understandably. So he 
made connections with his distant relatives in California, the United States, and he obtained a visa. This after reconnecting with his musical roots and working with professors in Germany and Austria at the end of the war. He moved to Los Angeles to stay with his family and there he also studied piano, making up for lost time in his 20s that he was struggling to survive. And he made his way to UCSB in Santa Barbara and that's where he got his degree in music education. He went from there to Morro Bay in the central coast of California. And there in the 60s, he founded the San Luis Obispo Youth Symphony. When I was a young musician coming up in San Luis Obispo in the Youth Symphony, I came there in the early 2000s and Bozo was far away from uh, operating the Youth Symphony on a daily basis. He came in occasionally to conduct and serve as a mentor and an inspiration to the students. He also offered opportunities to those of us who excelled or made extra efforts at Youth Symphony. So eventually I got the opportunity to perform at his house. One of the outstanding things about Bozzo Corcelli is that he not only was a wonderful musician, beautiful pianist and conductor, he also was a sculptor he sculpted stones. He was a, by uh, default, he was an architect and engineer, self-trained. Not that he had ever received formal training in these things, but he designed and built his own house. He basically figured out what he wanted his house to be. He wanted to make sure that it had a performing venue and a teaching studio inside of it. It's my favorite house. It had so much light and warmth. And in the middle of it, there was this garden area open and there was this large glass window on one side and it led into this teaching studio, this beautiful teaching studio with two grand pianos and books. There's a little library. And this huge window could fold up look out into the garden, we, you could set up chairs, and it was a venue. You could fit a lot of people in there. And he designed all of this just straight from his own brain. I had the opportunity to, to perform here many times growing up in the Youth Symphony, and that's where I got to know Bozo. I would play for him every once in a while, and he would give me advice. He taught me I remember when I was working on the E major partita by Bach, the Preludio, one of my favorite solo Bach movements. He told me to bring out the bass, which was something that I, as a young teenager, wasn't thinking about at all. To me, the piece was this high treble virtuoso kind of showpiece. But he showed me, no, there's actually bass here. You have to follow the bass line. And he showed me how to do that. And he showed me how to feel Bach more, less as a violin composer and more as an organ composer. He 
taught me to um, think about the poetics more, is what he called it. He would sing, he would say, don't focus so much on the technical aspect of it. Focus on the poetics. And then he would sing and demonstrate and shape the phrases. He also, when he conducted, he had this beautiful, just shaping and ability with his phrasing. And he never used a baton. He much preferred to use his hands to shape the music and show what he was trying to do rather than in words. So I like the fact that he used the word poetics. It wasn't until much later that I actually got into poetry, but I don't think that's what he was talking about. I think he was talking about the subtext of the music. What is the music trying to say? What is it? How is it trying to speak? Not to become overly obsessed with technical perfection. And he also taught me um, that his idea of mastery of the violin was kind of interesting. He said that to master the violin is to be able to hear a sound and to produce it, hear a pitch and be able to produce it. And to my young self, that sounded kind of obvious. I was like, yeah, isn't that the point? <laughs> We're trying to uh, create the sounds that we want on our instrument. Yeah, okay, right. So I didn't quite understand it as a young person. I think in later years, I've come to regard that as a rather deep kind of advice where in order to produce something on your instrument, you first have to conceptualize it in this deep way. Before you're able to get it on your instrument, you must feel it and hear it first. So I think that lesson has stayed with me as well. The last time I saw Bozzo was after I had already gone off to music school. I asked him if he would be willing to host a recital for me at his house. And... He said yes, he said one condition, no press and no publicity. I will make sure that there is a good appreciative audience there, nothing more and nothing less. And I was delighted, I didn't need any press or publicity, I just wanted to play there. And it was wonderful. I went down there with my friend James Kirksey, shout out to James, and we played in Bozo's wonderful studio. And he really exemplified to me all of the things that his father said. Let me read it again. He exemplified hard work, dependability, listening more and talking less sounding warm and playing music in a way that tells you something, never giving up, not leaving things unfinished, remembering that you need patience, making sure that your friends and relatives feel at home in your home. It was at that last time that I saw him, he gave me this book and he inscribed it. Thank you for being a part of my life. And I am thankful to him for being a part of mine. He called me a few months later and it was funny because I never got to learn that much about him from 
his own words, until he gave me his book. I wanted to hear stories. I wanted to hear about his past, but he always wanted to know what was I doing? What was I going through in music school? How was that? What was my experience like? And he called and, and we talked for a little bit and he just sounded happy. He sounded like he was in as good spirits as ever. And it was shocking a year later. Well, he was 92, so I can't say it's exactly shocking. <laughs> um, at least he was 92 when I, um, the last I saw him, but it was a year later or so that he passed away suddenly and that was the end of a life well lived and so many people in San Luis Obispo County look at Bozo as this incredible influence and someone who survived he he lived in Nazi prison camps he was abused he was the scum of the earth to both the Soviets and the Nazis. And somehow he survived it. And somehow he came out of it and inspired generations of kids to play music. As a young person growing up in San Luis Obispo is kind of interesting because without the youth symphony there, there's not a lot there for a young developing musician. You feel very isolated. It's far away from any big city, San Francisco, LA, seem a world away. And as a young person who wants to pursue music, you kind of feel that you don't have all of the access there that you might in a bigger city. So the fact that the San Luis Obispo Youth Symphony was there, I absolutely credit with my ability to become a musician later in life. And that's all thanks to him founding it. And to people like Nancy Nagano, my conductor growing up, and Carol Kirsten, who um, heard my first audition to get into the San Luis Obispo Youth Symphony, the lower section, which was, if I remember correctly, a Shokin Farewell, played with the worst technique possible before I could really read violin, but she gave me a chance. So thank you, Carol. <laughs> and to me, I love Bozo. I love his work and everything he's done. I was planning on talking about this chiefly because the documentary about Bozo's life has become available for this month free online. And I'm including the link to that below. It's an incredible documentary about the life of a man who lived very unlike most. He had a very unconventional life. The man suffered a lot, but he had great, he had moments of great joy and he passed that joy on to us in an incredibly positive and graceful way. And I think that message is something I would like to share during this time. I think that's definitely, for me, that positive silver lining that I need to focus on for my own well-being. And something that I hope gives you some comfort if you've made it this far and 
If you're interested, I really want you to check out the documentary, which is called Bozo, the Teacher from Tbilisi. It's a wonderful documentary. It's available for free. You can learn more about him and his life. And if you're so interested, here's his autobiography, The Teaching Life in Music, available on Amazon. I'm very thankful to Bozo for everything he did in my life and all of his encouragement and his teachings. And I hope to everyone out there, especially those of you who are musical or music lovers, that I want us to respond. I hope that we respond with empathy and something that adds. I want us to add to the situation. I want us to add our voice and add our beauty, the beauty that we make, all of artists, all of musicians. We're adding beauty to this world. And I think we need it now more than ever. And that's not, uh, even though it is a cliche, I believe it with every fiber of my being. We need it now more than ever in our history. So thank you for listening to Sounding Point Podcast, episode two. My name is Joseph Christensen. My podcast, by the way, should be available now on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher. Am I missing anything? I think I'm still waiting for Google Play. Besides that, it should be available everywhere else. So uh, like and subscribe, and, and I'll be uploading it here on my YouTube channel as well. Just make sure you subscribe um, to catch further updates. In the next few episodes, I'm going to be interviewing some of my amazing friends. So thank you so much for listening. Take care. Bye.